I'm excited. We're at uh, this end point of 2 Corinthians, which is such a wonderful book by Paul, where he just pours out his heart for the Corinthian church. And uh, it's so obvious the love that he has for these people. And it's so easily relatable. And God kind of does that when he pours out his heart for us. Very easy to relate to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, The presence of fellow Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength. And uh, I, I never feel that more often than on Sunday mornings. And it's so great to worship with you guys and be here together. See a bunch of old faces and some new faces. And just open God's word together and worship through that. So if you will, bear with me and we can open up in prayer. I think we can get this thing started. Lord God, I thank you so much for the privilege and opportunity it is to come before your people, Lord, and, and to teach from your word. Lord, I ask for humility for me that you would help me to get out of the way, that you would teach, that your word would go forth, and that I wouldn't be a distraction. Lord, as we open up your word, I ask that your Holy Spirit would convict, that it would encourage, that it would sharpen, Lord, that we would go out from this place different and wanting to be more and more like you. Lord, be glorified in us. Help us to learn together. Help us to worship you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we will be starting in verse 1. And if you have your worship folder, notes, everything but the title is correct. So we're right on that. Um, Really quick, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Andrew Bessie. Uh, A lot of people call me AJ. The kids call me Apple Juice. Um, I am on staff here at Village Bible Church. And it has been an honor to be serving alongside you guys and uh, advancing the kingdom. So let's, uh, let's see what God's word has to say to us as we begin today's message. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as a serpent served Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain... To you in all things. Um, if you don't have a physical Bible and you're not using an app, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, underneath, uh, where a lot of you have your feet. That's where a lot of the Bibles are. Um, they're black, and if you don't have a Bible at home, you're welcome to take that home as our gift to you. Verses 1 uh, through 2 are really interesting how Paul starts this section this way. In fact, if you, if you pay attention to what happened in 2 Corinthians 10, it's a little weird that he's about to do what he's about to do. Because the end of 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says that you shouldn't boast in yourself, that no man should seek his own attention, his own praise, but rather he should seek the praise that is from God. And then in the very next chapter, Paul starts to boast about himself. So we're kind of at this point like, okay, Paul, you just told us this, but now it doesn't look like you're listening to that. What's going on? Here, Paul, can you explain yourself? But Paul asks us to bear with him and a little bit of his foolishness. Uh, this is foolish for a few reasons. One, it's because Paul didn't really need to go over this. He knows the Corinthians. He doesn't need to list his qualifications. He doesn't need to list uh, the reasons why they should be listening to them. They're his brothers and sisters. There's 
family, there's friends, he knows them. But for some reason, the Corinthians have come to this point where they're just starting to believe everything that comes at them. So Paul's like, okay, let's set the record straight, guys. Listen to me for a minute, and let me uh, list my qualifications for you. Qualifications that are about to get pretty intense in the second half of this chapter. Uh, but Paul wants the Corinthians' attention, and he, he is jealous for that attention. Uh, the first point in your sermon notes is that divine jealousy produces faithful ministry from a sincere heart. Divine jealousy produces faithful ministry from a sincere heart. In verse 2, we see Paul uh, say that he feels a divine jealousy for them since he betrothed them to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Uh, Jealousy isn't really a good thing, right? If you think about human jealousy, we see this as something that's not good. You're jealous of somebody's car, their house, uh, their boyfriend, girlfriend, what husband, wife. Uh, you're jealous of these things, and it's not good. In fact, the Bible teaches us very plainly in the Old Testament that this isn't good. We aren't to covet. We aren't to be jealous of these things. But Paul says that he has a divine jealousy. Uh, divine jealousy is a little bit different from human jealousy, and that Paul is saying, in a sense, that he feels the jealousy that God would feel toward them. He shares the same jealousy that God has. Divine jealousy means that uh, God wants you to worship him and him alone, to walk in and know the truth, to follow and pursue Jesus and Jesus alone. See, what happens in the Corinthian church and happened a lot of times in the New Testament culture is that uh, people would start to accept all these other doctrines and they'd, they'd start to sync them all together and they'd fall into what we call syncretism where they'd just have Jesus plus or Jesus with a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um, they just started mixing their culture in with Christianity, and that wasn't working because their culture was opposed to Christianity. In verse 3, he makes it plain on how he feels uh, these people are being deceived. In fact, he compares it to the fall of man. He says, he says, I'm afraid that as a servant deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's Paul's biggest heart for these people. That's God's heart for these people. Is that they would have a sincere and pure devotion for Jesus and him alone. Uh, Paul goes after their thoughts. He says that your thoughts are being led astray. See, in the Corinthian culture and in that time, uh, the Corinthians valued so much of philosophy and the Stoics and, and these people who would come and speak called orators that they just wanted knowledge. They wanted thoughts. If you thought well, you were, you were valuable. You were valued. And Paul here... Uh, isn't too happy with that. He's saying you aren't really training your thoughts well. You're not trying to think well and focus on Christ. You don't have a pure and sincere devotion to him. In fact, just like Eve was led away, you're being led away too. Then we come to verse 4, which if if you want to compare to the New Testament, it probably sounds pretty familiar from some of other, Paul's other writings. Verse 4 says this, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You can, if you read Paul's heart into this, you can totally see how frustrating this is for him. Say he's, he leaves after preaching to them, and now they're just believing whatever the next person comes and says. Paul's like, what's going on, guys? Like, 
I was literally just there and I taught to you the truth of the gospel and now you're just believing whatever the next person comes and tells you? You're just totally grabbing onto that? In Galatians 1, 8 through 9, Paul uh, argues with the Galatians and he says, uh, you have believed another gospel. You've forsaken the gospel of Christ. And he, he makes it plain. He says, not that there is another gospel, but that you are believing this thing and calling it the gospel and, and starting to replace it uh, for what the truth of God is. So you could just start to feel the weight of Paul, the weight on Paul's shoulders weighing down and like he loves these people so much. And he's so jealous of them to follow Jesus and to love him alone. And it's just starting to become exhausting for him as he watches this go down, as he watches these people not follow Jesus, not follow the gospel. He says somebody else has come in and preached another gospel, uh, not that there is another one, but that they have twisted it. They've changed it. The problem here is that the Corinthians are gullible. They believed Paul, but they also believe everything else that's come. And so basically whoever the next person is that comes and speaks to them, they're just going to grab onto whatever they say. So when I was a kid, I, uh, I'd be outside a lot, and I'd, I'd run around outside a lot, and I'd do normal kid things like climb trees and eat mud and grass and um, eat lemons, you know, normal kid stuff. Um, and a lot of times I'd, I'd be very curious about what was around me and my, my surroundings. I'd ask questions, and I'd, I'd come to these, like a new fruit I haven't seen. Dad, what's this? My dad would tell me what it was. Or I'd come to some dirt on the ground. This is the tricky one. Um, see, sometimes I'd come to, like, dirt on the ground, like these little tiny piles of dirt. I'd be like, hey, Dad, what's this? And it was literally just dirt, but my dad told me that it was monkey poop. So I'd go like this, like, Dad, you let me touch monkey poop? Uh, so in my mind, I, what I had figured out had happened was that after I went to bed at night, monkeys would go around my neighborhood and poop on the lawns. And I had just been grabbing monkey poop a lot, and that was really gross to me, even though it had the same consistency as dirt. <laughs> I was gullible. Uh, the Corinthians were gullible here, too. They are having a hard time discerning the truth of the gospel from anything else. They're treating the gospel like it's monkey poop. That is a good quote. Um, <laughs> don't treat the gospel like it's monkey poop. Um, they're not, see, they're not wise enough to understand the truth of what's going on here. They're not wise enough to discern that, no, maybe this is the gospel. Just like I wasn't wise enough to discern, maybe this is actually just dirt. Um, the Corinthians are just believing. Whoever comes in, whoever says anything, they just, oh, yeah, that sounds great. That's great. In 5 through 6, Paul compares himself to these super apostles. These super apostles. Now, the super apostles contrary to what you may think or believe, do not have superpowers. Um, they did not get bitten by a spider or fall into toxic waste. These are just almost a way of mocking these people that Paul is using and saying these people sort of set themselves up as higher, as better than the apostles, and they have come to be known as super apostles. Um, not really the case. Paul is sort of mocking them here. He's saying, I'm not in the least bit inferior to these super apostles. In fact, uh, if you start to look at what I've done for you, you may realize that I've done everything out of love and humility. Let's see what he has to say in verse, verses 5 through 6. He says this, I consider I'm not the least bit inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. 
Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Paul doesn't want to confuse the super apostles, the people who are faithfully preaching the gospel of Christ, people like Apollos and and Cephas. Um, These aren't the people that Paul is frustrated with. The people he's frustrated with are these people who are coming to Corinth, and they're standing up and they're setting themselves up as people who deserve your money, as people who deserve your attention, deserve your praise, because they have some good stuff to tell you. All things that Paul didn't do. Paul didn't take their money. Paul wasn't after their praise. In fact, what Paul taught was hard. It was difficult. But Paul wasn't classically trained in speaking. He wasn't an orator. They didn't train him in the rhetoric of the time. So he didn't really have that edge on them. But these people would come up, and they'd be classically trained, and they'd stand in front of people, and they would orate. They would speak, and... uh, the people would be all impressed. And they'd be like, oh, wow, oh, that's so good. We love that. Um, but then they'd just believe whatever they said because I was trained by Sir Stephen, who is the best orator. But Paul didn't really have that training. What did Paul have training in? Well, he was trained by Gamaliel, uh, who was a Jew of the time, a, a noble Pharisee. Paul had probably the best training that he could have as far as knowledge goes. And he also... Um, I don't know, has the Holy Spirit. So he uh, has a huge advantage on these super apostles who don't. Um, And he's very much jealous of their attention. Paul's jealous of their attention because he knows the truth of the gospel. He knows the weight of his message, that it needs to be believed. This reminds me of comparing someone like Wayne Grudem to Joel Osteen. Um... Wayne Grudem, for those of you who don't know, wrote this gigantic book. It's like this thick called Systematic Theology. It's probably the most popular systematic theology. Um, it's this big book. I saw Wayne Grudem at a conference, Pastor Ron and Pastor Andrew and I went to a couple years ago. And he's this little guy with glasses and not very intimidating in presence. And you're just kind of like, oh, okay. Um, but the guy's got so much good stuff to say. He's just not the most, like, impressive figure, the most imposing person. Um, on the other hand, you get Joel Osteen, who sounds so nice. Like, if you've ever heard Joel Osteen talk, that guy sounds, he sounds like a really nice guy. But he is teaching false doctrine, and he is leading people to hell while sounding nice. Uh, Joel Osteen is definitely trained well to speak. He speaks very well, and he's very captivating. Um, But he has no knowledge, no seminary training, no biblical foundation. He just kind of talks, and people like it. Meanwhile, you got a Wayne Grudem who knows his stuff. He teaches at a seminary. He's written this gigantic book um, that very few people want to read all the way through. And he is just very intelligent, very smart, very easily applied, and very well-founded in Scripture. We need to be careful of people who sound nice but are not founded in Scripture, who don't have that biblical foundation, who aren't pursuing Christ. We need to be able to weigh their words against Scripture and weigh what they say against the truth so that we don't become like the Corinthians and just believe whatever we're told. Paul is so jealous for the Corinthians in this section. He shows that he's been faithful in his ministry to them. He shows that he is jealous for their faithfulness to God and to the gospel. 
that he's jealous that they follow the Jesus that he mentioned. Uh, he, he has this overflowing love with him that if you read this section well, you can see he just, he's like frustrated and he's, he's, he's trying to deal with them and, and, and talk them back into following the truth of the gospel. And he, he is a little annoyed that he has to actually do this. In ministry, we need to be jealous for people to follow Jesus, to follow him alone. Those who minister to and with should hold a special place for us. Um, anything that they believe or that they do apart from Jesus, apart from the truth of the gospel, should rub us the wrong way. It should be that we see them doing this, and it should be like, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm jealous for them to follow Jesus, and they're not doing that. I need to, in humility, and if I have the right relationship, correct them and bring them back to the truth of the gospel. That's what Paul's trying to do here. He has this relationship with them where he is over them in a pastoral role and where he cares about them deeply. And he wants them to come back to the truth of the gospel. The next section is verses 7 through 11. In your sermon notes, I have that Paul's humility works itself out in love. Paul's humility works itself out in love. Let me read this section. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. Verses 7 through 8, we see that when Paul came to Corinth, he preached the gospel free of charge. He preached the gospel free of charge in Corinth. He didn't want to be like their normal speakers who would come in and just give any old message. And, and he'd just sort of like fall into the ranks of their speakers at the time. He wanted his message to have the value in and of itself. So he came and he presented the gospel free of charge. How did he do this? Paul was a tent maker. And Paul was able to supply his needs by making tents. We see this from the book of Acts. That Paul, uh, Acts 18, 1 through 3, Paul, Paul went to Corinth and he made tents. He worked with Priscilla and Aquila. And they did this in order to supply needs for themselves. And sometimes those needs weren't completely met. So what did Paul do to meet those needs? Well, the brothers in Macedonia were generous enough to supply those needs for him. And Paul says sort of um, sarcastically that he robbed those churches. Paul's not literally a thief. He didn't really go in there and take their money. Um, He was just using the money that they gave him to do ministry in other regions, in Corinth. So Paul would use his tent making and the faithfulness of the Macedonian people in giving to supply ministry to the Corinthian church, to the Corinthian people ministry that they needed. When he came to Corinth, he didn't want to weigh them down and come across like their other speakers. He wanted his message to be unhindered. He wanted his message to be free of charge and the truth. He did this that they might receive the gospel without burden. Verses 9 through 10, um, he says, And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. 
As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. Paul continues boasting because these people are important to him. They're valuable to him. He loves these people so much. And he wants them to see what he did and the way he acted and why he acted that way. Because they've taken it the wrong way. They've taken it as Paul doesn't care. Paul's message wasn't really worth much because it was free. Uh, Paul isn't very good at speaking. Uh, He's not very knowledgeable because he didn't charge us money, so it means he's not worth much. He's just, apparently he's just getting started. But Paul is making it plain that, no, this isn't the truth. The truth is that my message carries weight by itself. My message was the important part. Paul says his message will not go in vain um, in the regions of Achaia, which we all know where Achaia is, so that goes without explaining. (laughs) Achaia is the region... um, you can see on the map, um, so where the tree is, that's, uh, <laughs> no, the is uh, where Corinth and Athens are. It's sort of like the southern region of that area. It's basically the areas around Corinth. Um, that's where Achaia is. I had to study that too, so don't feel dumb. I also had to look that up because I was like, oh, Achaia, yeah, what? What does that mean? Um, Why did Paul accept the Macedonians' money and not the Corinthians' money? Isn't that a little weird? Like, if he didn't want to accept money from the Corinthian people, why was it okay to accept money from the Macedonians? Paul, does Paul have a double standard here? Well, no, we actually see in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 that Paul, he commended the Macedonian people because they were so eager to give. They loved giving, and that was what they loved to do. So Paul received their money and was able to do so much with it because the Macedonian people were so generous. He, he loved that about those people. But the Corinthians were skeptical. The Corinthians were assuming Paul was trying to exploit them. So if he comes in and the Corinthian people are skeptical, he doesn't want to take their money too. So if you come into a situation where someone's already skeptical, that you're trying to sell them something, you probably shouldn't try to sell them something. That was Paul's reasoning. So he doesn't take their money. Rather, he presents them the gospel free of charge because this gospel message is important. It's vital to their lives. It's vital to how they live. However, doing this in the Corinthian culture could mean some very negative responses. It could not be taken the right way if he doesn't accept their money. Here's what happens. Paul has to explain in verse 11 that he loves these people. Why didn't I take money from you? And he says, and why? Because... I do not love you? God knows I do. God knows I love you. That's why I didn't take money from you. You see, in the Corinthian culture, uh, when somebody offered you money, when someone offered you a gift, it was the polite thing to take that money, to take that gift. It was sort of recognizing their culture and saying, okay, this is good. Sort of like if we send a, a missions, a youth group down to Mexico and somebody offers to feed us, you don't look at them and go, oh, no, thanks. We already ate Even if you did already eat, you accept the food and you eat it. That's polite in that culture. Um, Just like in the Corinthian culture, it was polite to accept money when someone gave it to you. However, there are a couple problems with that for Paul. The problem is that if he accepted this money, he would be encouraging their skepticism. And if he accepted this money, they would be able to control his message. See, uh, if somebody offered you money to speak... They sort of had the authority over you. You were now inferior to them. And Paul's message isn't inferior. Paul's message is the truth of the gospel. It's the most important message they could hear. 
So Paul worked hard to make sure that this message wouldn't be tainted by a supporter. Uh, I think that it's relevant in our time, especially recently with the way um, some government things are going. Um, I go to Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. And Biola is most likely going to lose its Cal Grant funding soon. It's likely going to be gone. Um, A lot of what's happening is that uh, the government wants people to teach certain curriculum in certain ways, and Biola will not bend to anything contrary to the Bible. So they will not be teaching contrary to the gospel. So they're not going to be accepting that funding. Now the school's prices will go up, um, but their message will not be tainted. And that's important. Just like it was important to Paul back then, it's important now that when we uh, accept money for things, people can control the message. Paul didn't want that to happen. Paul wanted to preach the gospel free of charge. Sometimes in life we do things for the good of other people that they don't recognize right away. I think the most easy application of that is probably for parents. I'm not a parent, but I was a child at one point. Um, And parents do things for the good of their children all the time that their children just hate. They just do not like. They pout. They throw fits. Why can't I have soda at 9 o'clock at night? Mom, I, I really want it. This, I think, is good for me. And sometimes you just can't convince them that it's good for them. Sometimes you just can't convince them that this is what they need. Just like Paul was trying to convince the Corinthian people that what he did was good and the reasons he did it was good. Um, Sometimes you have to explain your reasoning in order for people to understand the purpose of what you've been doing. Paul loves these people in Corinth. Uh, It just pours out uh, through everything he did. Everything Paul did, every step he took was out of love for these people. He wanted them to learn the gospel. He wanted them to pursue the truth, to not follow another Jesus, but to follow the true Jesus. Paul loves them. Last section, 2 Corinthians eleven twelve through 15. In Paul's jealousy, he warns against... In jealousy, Paul warns against false teachers... And jealousy, Paul warns against false teachers. Point number three in your notes, false teachers are in the blanks. And what I am doing, I will continue to do, verse 12, in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, Deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul doesn't pull any punches here. He kind of just goes straight at it. These people are not good. They're deceitful workmen. They're false apostles. And they are going to hell. Paul wants the truth to be told to these Corinthian people. That this message that they're being taught is pulling them away from the truth of the gospel. It's pulling them away from the truth of the gospel. Paul calls out these men who boast in their message and, and take advantage as false teachers. 
people that other areas of Scripture warn us about as wolves. They come as wolves in sheep's clothing. They look really good. They sound nice. But they're pulling you away from the truth of the gospel. They claim they're on the same team, but they preach a different message. It reminds me of watching um, celebrity culture sometimes, or, or athlete culture, where you see these people's lives displayed for you, and you see what they're doing, and they're not living as Christians would, and then they come out and claim that they're Christian, and you kind of just cringe. You're like, oh no, please don't say that. Because now you just marred the name of Christ to everyone, and now they compare Christians with what you're doing, and they think that that's okay, which it's definitely not. Uh, Paul is here going after these false teachers who are okaying things that aren't okay. He says, stay away from these men who twist the truth of the gospel. What is this false gospel that they're teaching? What, What are they coming at the Corinthian people with that's so wrong? Like, maybe they're just adding a thing or two that's light and it's not that bad. Uh, What most likely has been happening, as I mentioned earlier, is is this syncretism, where these people would come in and they'd be uh, what we call Judaizers, which means they'd push so hard on the works of the law and they'd push so hard on following the Old Testament law that they'd forget completely about grace, that God's grace is what saves us, and that through obedience and love for him, we're saved. But these Judaizers would come in and they would twist that message and they'd they'd try to throw in works too. So Paul would be like, grace! And they'd be like, also works. And they'd be like, what? See, what what we see from the New Testament is that your love flows out in works. That by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. But in that when you've been saved by grace, your love for Jesus will work. That's just what you naturally do as a saved person. It's not your works that earn your grace. Stay away from those men who twist the truth of the gospel. 14 through 15, Paul describes Satan as an angel of light. He says, no wonder for even Satan describes himself as an angel of light, disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. What does Paul mean by Satan disguised himself as an angel of light? Because you start to think through scripture, this doesn't really make sense. Because we don't really see Satan disguise himself as an angel of light. There's a couple of theories. One of those theories is that Paul is referring to something called the pseudepigrapha, which is a fun word if you want to say it quietly to yourself, pseudepigrapha, um, which is this writing that happened after uh, the Old Testament that was written in other people's names. Um, there are pseudonyms. Uh, so these people would write these books, and they were popular sort of Jewish literature of the time, sort of fun books to read. Um, I don't think that that's quite what Paul's talking about here. It, it is a theory. You can look into that and believe that if you think it's right. Uh, what I think Paul's talking about here is more, um, it's a broader thing. See, the Greek word for angel can also mean messenger. And what we often refer to as light is goodness uh, or truth. We see that a lot in the New Testament. So what I think Paul is talking about here with the Corinthian, with, with Satan, is that Satan can disguise himself as a messenger of the truth, as a messenger of goodness. He can come across this way. In fact, we see this um, in the Garden of Eden 
in Genesis chapter 3, we see Satan approach Eve and say, well, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of any tree in the garden? See, what Satan looks like he's doing is he looks like he's being a messenger of the truth. Like, well, let's hold on a minute, Eve. Let's, uh, let's look at what God actually said. Wow, Satan, you're so helpful. And Eve just eats of the fruit. Um, see, Satan had disguised himself as this messenger of the truth, as this angel of light. He also does this in the temptation of Jesus, where he keeps asking Jesus to do things. Um, Jesus, throw yourself off the wall, and angels will save you. Jesus, turn these rocks into bread, so that way you can eat. Um, Jesus, go do this. And Jesus is like, no. Get out of here, Satan. That's um, the AJ version of that section. Jesus is like, no, get out of here, Satan. Um, Satan disguises himself as this messenger of the truth, but he's not. He's not. Jesus calls him the father of lies. He tries to realign God's words, but leads people way down the wrong path by slightly twisting something. By just slightly twisting it, Satan leads people down the wrong path. If you study church history, uh, this is obvious through all the heresies that came up in the first uh, five, six, 21 centuries um, of the church. (laughs) Uh, These heresies keep coming up where you're like, okay, that sounds pretty good. Oh my gosh, that's not even in the Bible. Where like most of it's like, okay, all right, I can see that. And they're like, and Jesus is just a person. And you're like, oh, that's not good. That's not in the Bible. Uh, See, Satan just continues to do this, where he continues to twist the truth of God's word. A lot of cults have done this. They've twisted God's word through Satan's power. Here he sees that people kicked out of the church. It reminds me of when I was a kid. It's not the same story. Of uh, <laughs> I used to play capture the flag, and what my goal was was to capture the other team's flag. So we'd split up teams, and then I'd be like, oh, I'm on this team. And I'd switch sides and act like I was going this way when I was actually going that way, and then I'd just turn around and grab the flag and win like a liar. <laughs> I just compared myself to Satan, I think. Anyways, I am a sinner, I think is the point. Um, no, th- this is just slightly twisting, like slightly twisting. I wasn't, I was playing cash the flag, but I wasn't on that team, so I slightly twisted it. High schoolers, I didn't do that when we played on Friday. Just, just to clear, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Part of me was like, oh, here's a good strategy. And then I'm like, no, get away, Satan. Fifteen verses on Paul defending his ministry and his love for the Corinthian people. Uh, If you read it with emotion, with with God's heart behind it, if you read and try to feel with what Paul is saying, you can see quite clearly that Paul's love for these people just overflows. And Paul's love for these people isn't human love. It's not just from him. Rather, it's from God. That God loves these people so much that Paul is willing to put up with all this. Um, We have learned quite clearly that the Corinthian church is not perfect. They have a lot of issues going on. But what we've also learned quite clearly is that God loves them. He loves them enough to send people like Paul to minister to them. To be with these people in the midst of their rejection of him, rejection of the gospel, rejection of his work and what he's taught them. I mean, if Paul wanted to be selfish, he spent so much time there. 
And he, he, like, labored hard and worked hard and built these tents so he could make money and, and taught them the truth of the gospel, and they believed it, and he left. Paul could have been like, you know what? Then I'm done with you. I'll see you later, because apparently you don't even care. But that's not what Paul's mission is. That's not what our mission is as a church. See, God loves people through us. God uses people as his ambassadors, as ministers of his grace, to extend his love to those around us. And that's what Paul did. On behalf of God, he extended God's love. God loves these Corinthian people, and Paul shows that love to them actively by forgiving, by uh, being so hard at work that he doesn't take any money, by continuing to preach the truth of the gospel in spite of their rejection. Paul communicates so importantly in these verses that there is a hierarchy of the gospel. There's a hierarchy of the gospel. The gospel is the most important thing. The truth of the gospel that leads us to Jesus is the most important thing. No other message was better than this. No other speaker that came in, no other reasoning was going to be better than this. It doesn't just sound nice. It wasn't just a nice message that he's like, oh, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Go ahead and follow your own beliefs and, and I, won't, I won't bother you. I'll just mind my own business. No, Paul understood that this meant hell that if they didn't believe this truth, that they were going to spend eternity in hell. That's what he says that the false teachers are going to do, that their, their end, their finishing, when they die, it will correspond to what they did on earth. It will correspond to their works. So how do we apply this? You all do not have churches that you write to regularly. You all are not pastors. Um, you all are not in... A position like Paul was in. And that's fantastic because we are a body with many parts, uh, many members, and we serve different functions. But what does this mean? Uh, it means that there are people in your life that you minister to. There are these people around you that you minister to. Uh, whether it's through discipleship or mentorship, um, you have these relationships with people where you are constantly trying to plug into their lives and lead them to the truth of the gospel. Uh, you want to challenge these people to be following Jesus with everything. Um, if you don't have those mentor-disciple relationships, maybe you're a parent. Maybe you have kids in your house, and you see your kids starting to stray from the truth of the gospel. And I know that can be hard for parents as they watch this and just feel so jealous for their kids to know the truth, to follow the truth. And maybe you have brothers and sisters, friends who you're with, uh, we see in 1 Corinthians 7 that God has placed you wherever you are in life for a specific reason. That you are called and assigned to certain places in life for a reason. So wherever you are is not an accident. God has you there as a minister of his grace that you might show his love to these people around you. So I'd encourage you all to have divine jealousy. Have this divine jealousy for these people that you disciple, these people around you, that you'd care that I would care, that we'd see people who aren't pursuing the truth of the gospel and that it would tear us apart because it tears God apart, that we'd have that same heart that he has for his people, that we'd hurt when God hurts. You love these people in your life. I know that I, I have experienced the love that you have for me as a church body, and I've seen the love that you share for each other. And I know that there's a lot of divine jealousy in this room, and I'm privileged to be at a church where that happens. I'm privileged to be in a place where 
uh, we're jealous for the things God, are, God is jealous for. So I just encourage you to strengthen that, to encourage that, that in humility, you might confront people that you have that relationship with. That you might say, brother, I think you're wrong. I think that you're not following the truth of the gospel. Or sister, what are you doing? Out of love that you would do this. Paul loves these people so much, and of course it would be awkward to write this. But Paul doesn't care because the gospel is so much more important than that. The gospel is so much more important than awkwardness or, or momentary discomfort. It's a central message of Paul's teaching. It's a central message of our lives. Let me pray and end us. Lord God, I thank you so much for how jealous you are for us. That you love us so much that you do not want to see us walk down the wrong paths. Lord, I ask that we would be jealous for those people you've placed in our lives. That we would be jealous that they follow you. Lord, give us uh, strength, give us boldness to confront when they're not. Lord, give us humility to recognize when we're not. Help us to accept the confrontation. Help us to accept correction. Lord, I ask that as we go out from this place that you would help us to be like Paul and make that gospel message central to everything we do. That we'd see where we are signed in life and we would serve you there. Lord, be with us this week. Help us to recognize where you're giving us opportunities to be jealous. Help us to love people well. In Jesus' name, amen.